The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelinch. And today, again, we'll share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we will respond to a listener question or comment. So please let us know what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you. Today's show is titled, To Thine Own Self Be True. Nobody else is responsible for our sobriety. We are the ones who direct, live, and own our own sober experience. In this sense, we are, quote, fully self-supporting just as a seventh tradition guides our recovery groups to be. But in active addiction, we often try to put our responsibilities on to others. Maybe with something like, if work wasn't so stressful, I wouldn't drink so much. Well, excuses like this will never keep us sober. So we learn to be true to our own selves and to be self-supporting in our sobriety. Today, we'll share our experience, strength, and hope on owning our sobriety one day at a time. Yes, so we'll begin by sharing our experiences of blaming others, how we used to do that maybe in our active addiction or in early recovery, then move into that solution of the principle of self-sufficiency, being self-supporting. After the break, we'll share exactly how that principle of self-sufficiency helped us to move from that habit of blaming others into a life where we own our own experience. So Dan, tell us about that blaming others thing that we do. I never did that. No, me neither. And that's my story. And if I did, it was your fault. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Hey, I like that. Um, When I think about that, I I don't, even now, I mean, some some steps down the recovery path here, I I don't, I I was not a very outgoing person. Um, And so I was very unlikely to pick fights or, you know, be an instigator. I was much more of a, you know, just be quiet and, and stay out of it kind of person. So the way that that sort of blaming others showed up for me was more internal than external. And it was always based on uh, sort of a central fear 
for me of feeling like I don't know what's going on. I need to know what's going on. I need to understand uh, what's happening. And if and any time that I didn't, um, what what I saw my mind doing is grabbing something to be sure of. Well, I decide that this is what's going on, which means you're wrong if you don't agree with it. So that's where the blaming others kind of came into it for me. Absolutely driven um, by a core fear uh, for me. That's interesting. So you were driven primarily by fear. I think I was driven primarily by shame. So um, uh, how to describe that in only a few words, but those of us that grew up in a very shame-based way, um, well, for me, it was hard for me to see my own behavior because I had so much built up around me to protect myself from seeing it because I was so shame-based. Does that make yeah, sense? It does make sense, yeah. Yeah, um, and it, boy, it takes a long time, um, a lot of recovery work and therapy and all that kind of stuff to begin to unpack all of that because um, we we build up such a protection around ourselves. And I know I had a lot of protection around myself. And one of the ways that I protected myself was to look to the outer, to look at what was happening out there. What were you doing that was causing this problem? Because, And the reason I did that, again, to make clear, is not because I was a bad person, but it was because it was simply too painful emotionally for me to look at my own behavior because of a number of you know factors and how I was raised and how I became and et cetera. I couldn't look at myself because the shame was too much and it was too painful. So I had to project that outside of me onto others. What were you doing? I couldn't look at myself and see my own part. So that's how that really worked for me. Blaming others was a way of taking the heat off of myself because it was too painful to look at that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm reminded, and, and as I was sharing a minute ago, that really comes back to my Enneagram. And and I thought you put it really well when you pointed out that um, sort of my, you know, my wiring is based on fear, which is the, what is that? That's the five, six, seven Enneagram triad, if you're an Enneagram nerd like I am. Yeah. And you, you of course, as a three in a different triad. So that makes total sense yeah. to me. And I can see why, well, of course, um, there's almost always some fear or other underneath, um, you know, any negative experience that I'm having. Uh, it's something I always need to be looking at for motivation, because even as we as we work on ourselves, even as we walk the recovery path and we we grow in the spirit, we might say, um, you know, we maintain our spiritual condition. Our old habits are still there. We're just much more adept at staying in balance with them. It's not like it ever really goes away. It's that I have additional tools to deal with things. So if something happens and I'm feeling that like that that kind of fear and maybe I'm looking for a, a reason outside myself, which is kind of the definition of blaming others. I right. mean, the others could be other people. It could be circumstances too. Right. Well, if yep. it wasn't raining, you know, well, I'm blaming the rain now instead of <laughs> did I bring an umbrella, right? Which is really uh, what's going on. That's my part in it, you know, which we'll talk about more in a little while. But it does come down to me for just the way that I'm basically wired. And, and I always think of the, the Enneagram when that comes up, you know, that kind of drives my 
Um, you know, we all have a need to be right to some extent. And in me, that need to be right is driven by the, a strong, strong desire to, I, I'm not okay in the world if I don't understand how something works. So understanding how things works, primary motivator, and it's fear that's motive. I better, I better make sure I understand how this works. Cause if I don't understand how it works, it's going to be painful for me. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, blaming those exterior circumstances. If they weren't serving green beer on St. Patrick's Day, I wouldn't have to drink all the green beer there was. It's interesting, you know, we always end up talking a little bit about the Enneagram and um, the three, the primary pre preoccupation of the three is um, exterior approval, approval of others. And the fear is fear of not being loved, fear of not being approved of. So for me, admitting my wrongs, admitting my mistakes, or saying, God, even saying out loud that I messed up, that triggers that fear, that three fear for me that, um, you know, that people aren't going to love me, they're not going to like me, they're not going to approve of me, I'm not going to be okay. And, and if you really have that that three thing, that really deep fear, it, it does feel like death. It feels like if people don't approve of me, I'm going to die. Yes, that's, it does. that's how primary and um, intense that fear is. And the funny thing is it's like, if I don't say it out loud, they won't know that I did it. <laughs> right. You know, like as if people need me to admit what I did in order for them to see it. Uh -huh. But it's that, yeah, somehow, you know, I've thought a lot about this and, you know, not blaming the way I was raised or whatever, but somehow growing up, I did not learn that it was okay to admit my mistakes. I don't know how that happened and it doesn't really matter. It only matters that I didn't learn, you know, somehow I learned that I had to be perfect or that admitting a mistake made me not okay, not acceptable, not lovable, not valuable. And so the way that I handled that was just don't ever fess up, man. Just don't ever say what you did, you know, <laughs> just throw the focus somewhere else, you know, point out what somebody else did to take the heat off of me. And um, that's not a very good way to go through life. And it's not a very emotionally mature way to go through life. <laughs> but it was definitely my operating system before I got sober. Absolutely was my operating system. Don't ever say what you did put it on someone else, point out what they did and get the heat off of you. Because that fear, as you were saying, it really, it really is a primal fear. It runs so deep. We do feel like we're going to die. Yes. Literally, I cannot survive. And, you know, think, think about ourselves. And as you're listening to the show here, think about yourself as a very young child. I mean, like yeah. two or three years old, you don't have the capacity. I didn't have the capacity at two and three years old to, uh, deal with that kind of all-encompassing, in my case, fear. You know, in your case, you're talking about shame. And each of us has, you know, our own thing that, that really does run that deep, and it really is its core to, to who we are. And so for me, um, the, the not taking responsibility, which is kind of what we're talking about when right. we talk about blaming others, is more based on a fear of other people than... Uh, than outright blaming, like, like you're pointing out, at least for yeah. me, you know, it's just terribly afraid of uh, not knowing what's going on or, or afraid of other people. You know, I didn't want to engage. It was safer not to engage with other people. 
And so, uh, you know, that kept me separated. That yeah. that I, I was not able to stand up and own my own part in things because yeah. it wasn't safe to do that. And so I needed yes. to retreat. And, um, you know, that, that was sort of my version of um, not owning my own experience, which is kind of what we're talking about today, you know, to yeah. thine own self be true. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, mine was more shame-based, but below shame is fear. I mean, I think it, basically most things, most of those, I don't know, you want to call them character defects or, you know, emotions or whatever, they kind of all boil down to fear. And I think our literature may even say that somewhere. And I think I remember that being yeah. part of my fourth step. Yeah, it does. hundred forms all, of fear. We're driven by yes, fear. Exactly. So for the three and for me, um, as a shame-based person, uh, owning up to what I've done or letting people see what I've done, the fear is they won't love me. They won't. And, you know, as a small child, like you mentioned, then they oh, won't yeah. take care of me and right. I will die. Yep. So, Literally. yeah, just to kind of, you know, give ourselves a little bit of um, what do I want to say? You know, a little bit of compassion and understanding that it's a real it's a real thing. It's a real fear. It does feel for a three you know, someone not approving of me feels like an emotional death. Like, like I may, my life may be in danger. I may not be safe. And so, you know, like with my own son, I'm trying really hard to teach him, okay, you screwed up because you did, you did screw up. You know, you broke something or you didn't do something or you colored on the walls or whatever, but I love you anyway. You know, and somehow that's what I didn't get is that it's okay to make mistakes. I can make a mistake and still be a lovable and valuable human being. That might sound really basic to some people. It was not basic to me when I came into recovery. I had to learn all of that from the ground up. Yeah, I hear you. And I, and I suspect that that was the experience of many of us. It was mine as well. Absolutely. So now that we know about this challenge of blaming others or more broadly, you know, not owning our own experience, what is the solution? Well, as we always say in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. Yes. And recovery principles are also spiritual principles. So we look for that guidance in recovery much the same way we do in unity. And the recovery principle that comes to mind as we heal our tendency to blame others is the principle of self-sufficiency. And that's what we want to focus on today. But what does this thing we're calling principle of self-sufficiency mean exactly? And, and what does it mean in our recovery groups? You know, you may recognize it as the seventh tradition. And what does it mean for each of us individually? So, Michelle, when you think about just the concept of self-sufficiency, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, the tradition that says each group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. So, obviously, in the context of the traditions, that, you know, has a financial um, connotation to it. That's very important so that groups can remain independent. In our own lives, it's a lot more nuanced, right? Because we are not an island. We do not function all on our own. Um, we are, you know, one of many. We are social beings. We are interdependent. But usually it seems like when we come into recovery, you know, we're either 
we tend to go to extremes, right? I'm either an island unto myself. I don't need anybody. I'm totally on my own. I'm a one woman show. I don't need anybody's help. Or we're the opposite. You know, I'm clingy and needy and codependent. Or maybe we vacillate between both of them, right? But um, this, this idea of a spiritual concept as opposed to a financial concept, a spiritual concept of self-sufficiency is much more nuanced much more delicate and complex, um, as many spiritual concepts are. So over time, we have to come to be able to strike a balance between being self-sufficient, self-supporting, independent, owning our own um, actions, our own issues, taking responsibility, but also, especially in recovery, learning to be in- interdependent. Because recovery is a group process, right? We have to learn to rely on others. Um, We don't want to, you know, approach recovery as like a lone wolf kind of thing, because that's not the program that we are participating in. It's a program of working together with others. So if our thing was to be a lone wolf, then we may have to learn to, to reach out to others more. If our thing was to be super codependent, then we may need to learn to be a little more independent. So it kind of depends, you know, where we're coming in. And it's a very nuanced balance that we want to eventually learn to strike in recovery. Yeah, and I think balance, of course, is is the perfect word for it that comes up over and over here on our show and just in life in general and certainly in spiritual development um, seems to always come back to balance. You know, when we talk about the unity's 12 powers, we're always talking about, you know, am I overusing it or underusing it? I'm doing something with it and maybe I'm not even aware of what it is. Or we talk about a skillful versus an unskillful use. I think that that's a a good differentiator. Uh, When I think about self-sufficiency and it, and it is nuanced and we'll, we'll talk more about the, you know, what it isn't uh, as we move ahead, but one right. thing that it is for me is is knowing that I can address any issue that comes up in my life. I'm not powerless in life. Right. I am I am powerless over alcohol once I put it in my body. Yes. I am not powerless anymore to choose whether I put it in my body or not. I used yeah. to be powerless to choose. That's yeah. a that's a working definition of addiction is I have lost the power to choose. Yeah. Well, through recovery um, and, uh, you know, hard work and following the principles and all that, I've regained the ability to choose not to drink. Now, I'm sure that that would disappear pretty quickly if I started to put alcohol into my body again. And I have no yes. intention of um even walking up to that line. I, I right. love living a sober life. I can't imagine not living a sober life. There is yeah. no reason that I uh, can come up with that I would ever um, need, you know, to pick up a drink. And, and any time that idea does come up, and it doesn't come up much anymore, it used to come up more, but it come, you know, it, it shows up with something like, you know, so what would, you know, what's the big deal anyway? <laughs> well, you know, what would be the big deal if I had a couple of drinks and then the other, yeah. you know, picture the shoulder angels, right? Yeah. So then the other shoulder angel says, when did you ever have a couple of drinks? Exactly. Or <laughs> even want to. <laughs> <laughs> like never. 
And so then, then uh, you know, as I've learned in the program, I can quickly turn around and say, what is going on within me that is making it, that is trying to make it sound like okay, taking okay. a drink is a solution to anything? Because it's yeah. not. What, where, where am I uncomfortable? What's happening? And then, of course, yeah. the longer I'm sober, the more adept I am at identifying it. I can see it more clearly. I can see it more quickly, you know, the, the longer I spend on the recovery path. And so that's become uh, part of the tool. So n- knowing that I can address anything that comes up, that doesn't mean I know how. It doesn't mean that I wished it upon myself. It doesn't mean that other people aren't somehow involved. It just means I have the power to choose my response. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's Cinco de Mayo and you have memories of wonderful, gigantic <laughs> margaritas. <laughs> so, see, that's the extrovert drunks who were doing all that. The oh, yes. Drunks, it was just another day of drinking. See, blaming others, if it weren't for all these cultural holidays that involve various types of um, beverages, <laughs> I never would have become an alcoholic. Yes. Um, ah, so nuanced. So self-sufficiency talked a little bit about what it isn't it isn't going it alone and um it's not you know the opposite of that being super codependent but it does mean that i'm responsible for my reactions i'm responsible for my own healing i'm responsible for my own growth so i'm not responsible for what happened to me especially as a child we talked about this a little bit before the show a child is absolutely not responsible for what happened to them growing up they don't have the power to choose they don't have the option um adults are 100 percent responsible um but i am responsible now to figure out what to do with that so that i can be in the world in a way that is as a responsible, mature adult. So I'm not responsible for what others do or do to me or do in the world. And I'm not responsible for everything that happens in the world, but I am responsible for myself, my own behavior, my own reactions, and what is not healed in me that is creating that behavior and that reactions. That's what I'm responsible for. Um, And that's both the good news and the bad news, right? It's the bad news because, oh my God, I'm responsible for myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And it entails a lot of work, you know, to, um, to take responsibility for that. It's the good news because it's so empowering, right? Um, you know, it means that I don't have to be a victim. I may have been a victim in the past of certain things that happened to me, but I am empowered now to, Um, to take action towards my own healing, towards my own growth, towards learning better coping mechanisms. That's where my power lies. So it's an empowering concept, right? I don't have to be a victim. And things are still going to happen to me. I can't control that. I can't control what others do. The only power I have is within. (laughs) That's enough, right? I have enough just controlling and, you know, dealing with my own reactions, much less trying to control what you're doing out there. So I have enough just um, working on that. So that is the power that I have. And that is the empowering thing about it is that I can learn to change my part. I can learn to change my behavior and my reactions. Yeah, self-sufficiency for me uh, quickly 
points at and as we're saying that that I am responsible. You know, we even have a responsibility statement in some recovery groups that gets read, read at the end. You know, whenever someone reaches out their hand, I'm responsible. Right. Um, but responsible doesn't mean, and this was tricky, separating the concept of blame and shame from responsibility. I can be responsible for something and blame. The concept of blaming is nowhere, has nothing to do with it. Right. But for us, you know, who grew up in a, in a, in a place of fear, who, you know, I, if it was me, I'm certainly blaming myself often for, I shouldn't have said that I should just be quiet, blah, 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 whatever yeah. it is. Um, you know, blaming gets mixed in with responsibility. And what I've learned on the recovery path is self-sufficiency means I'm responsible. The fact that I'm responsible, A, it doesn't mean I have to do everything by myself, no. like you were pointing out. And it doesn't mean that there's blame that has to be assigned. You know, just set that whole concept aside. And right. where it was particularly challenging for me was in the step work when I was asked to ask myself, what is my part in this? And I had a really, I didn't understand that. Uh, what is my part in? No, see, they did it. See, I'm mad at them because yeah. they did this. What's right. my part in? I didn't do it. You right. can hear that I'm in a blaming state of mind right. as I look at it that way. But if I can set aside the concept of blame and say, well, I'm the one that's hanging on to my anger, right? right? That's my part in it. Or if it's a friend I and I keep going back to being friends with it, I keep showing up and they keep doing the same thing. What's my part in it? I keep showing up, <laughs> yeah. right? Expecting them to be different. And so over time, I, I was able to begin to understand how to answer that question. What's my part in it? And in order to do that, I had to separate self-sufficiency, which I'm also calling responsibility, separate that from blame. I mean, that was a life-changing distinction for me. Yeah, so I mentioned that um, that self-shame being an impediment to accepting responsibility, right? So what, what came up, what I was just thinking about as you were speaking is, thank God we don't have to do this alone. This yes. is a program of turning our will in our lives over to the care of our higher power, God, as we understand God. And that's such an important piece that we can't forget. So I had so much shame that I couldn't accept what my part was, but I came to know a loving God that loves me regardless of what I have done. And that's the beginning of healing that shame so that I can begin to take responsibility. That's the way it works. I don't have to do it alone. I get to do it with the constant support of a loving, unconditionally loving, supporting God that can help me through that process. And hopefully a group, you know, we talk about yes. the power of the group and the, the, the power of having a trusted advisor. It all kind of works together over time. But let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We hope that you'll stay with us. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Yes, welcome back, and we're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelich. And we'll resume our discussion in a moment, but we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment. And I want to add that your anonymity is always respected. Mm -hmm. So even if the message shows up with a name on it, we're not going to use that name on the air. So please feel free to let us know what's on your mind. We do love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. So prior to the break, we were talking about that habit, that tendency of wanting to blame others for things that happen. And we talked a little bit about the fear and shame behind that, that um, caused us to want to do that. And then we talked about what self-sufficiency means for us and um, how it's sort of a nuanced thing that we're, we're not um, completely alone, but rather are interdependent. So, Dan, now that we have discussed this tendency of ours to blame others, and we know that the solution is to invoke that spiritual principle of self-sufficiency, how exactly does that work? How does self-sufficiency lead us to where we really own our experience? Well, as we've talked about on this episode and also many other times, and and uh, all, all who are or have been in a recovery program for any length of time understand that this is an evolving kind of deal, right? There's, even though the questions can be simple, like how does self-sufficiency help me move away from that tendency to avoid responsibility uh, to owning my own experience? Well, slowly over time, and hopefully it does, and if it does, it is going to be slowly over time. But one of the so I, I then think about practices, practices and habits and tools, right? So one of the practices or one of the tools is, is the central tool to unity, which is that we turn within for guidance. We turn within purposely, regularly to experience what we'd call the presence of spirit, you know, the presence of God uh, in us, knowing that just experiencing that presence, even if it's for a couple moments at a time, has a very strong healing effect on our lives. And so self-sufficiency means I'm not looking outside myself for either the problem or the solution, and I'm right. still avoiding blame. Remember, we talked about avoiding, set the concept of blame aside and look at it as a concept of responsibility. I'm not looking outside of myself. So where am I? I'm turning within. I'm asking for guidance. I'm asking, I'm opening my mind and my heart to a new way of seeing. Yes. You know, I'm not, when I say asking, I don't mean literally like doing a talking kind of prayer, like God, please show me this, but rather I show up in the stillness with an open mind and an open heart. And I await, you know, things just sort of show up. And I, I know that I can direct that just by my intention, right? It's, it's super subtle and super powerful at the same time. So th that practice, that tool right there of just, okay, it's not outside of me, whatever, whatever needs to happen, whatever the source and or the solution for this situation that I'm in, I'm going to find it within myself. Now, 
I might then need to talk to a trusted advisor. I might need to share it with uh, people in recovery group or recovery friends. You know, not they're not necessarily a sponsor. They might not even be in my home group, but we're in recovery. They get me, right? And I get them because we're both um, in recovery. That might be something that I need to do. Uh, but the first thing I always do is turn within to just, as I said, sit in the stillness with an open mind and an open heart, having set the intention to see a new way of being. Yes. Who is it that said that an unexamined life is not worth living? Someone really famous. <laughs> I know, and I can't remember who it was. Like Socrates or something like that. Something like that, yeah. But it's really true. I mean, this program is an inside job. This is an introspective, self-examining, self-discovery program, you know, and we have some formal steps that actually lead us through that process. So let's talk about the fourth step. Everybody's favorite step. Let's do the fourth step. So (laughs) the fourth step you know, most of you listening probably know, but is where we take an inventory, um, an exhaustive inventory of ourselves and um, our stuff. So I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Peggy M. She's one of those big shots on the speaker circuit. I used to listen. I saw her here in um, Monterey and I used to listen to her, uh, her talks in my car. She talked about the fourth step, um, that process like turning over a rock, right? You're turning over that rock. And, you know, when you turn over a rock in nature, what do you find underneath? <laughs> you find Lots all of creepy kinds crawlies, of stuff, right? right? Little creepy crawlies. And she called them, you know, her grubs. You find all these grubs underneath there. But there's a point at which you're like, okay, these are my grubs. And then you're like, but these are my grubs, these are my grubs. And I had that experience when I was doing my fourth. Well, you know, to me, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh steps all kind of slide together. So when I was in that process of inventorying my character defects and sharing them with another person, um, I had, there was a sort of a spiritual moment at which I went from, oh my God, this is all my stuff to, this is me. This is me. This is a complete picture of me. And if it's truly an exhaustive inventory, it's not just listing everything bad about ourselves, right? So not that we want to spend too much time listing how wonderful we are because we're all good at that, (laughs) but it should be reflective of who you are. And there was a moment at which I felt like it's very hard to explain as most deeply spiritual experiences are, but there was a moment where there was a shift for me and it was like, okay, this is me. This is my experience. These are the things that have happened to me. These are the things that I have done. This is who I am. And within the context of what we're talking about today, I think that what that shift was, was that moving from blaming others to owning my experience. It was a very palpable shift in which I said, I owned it. I owned it. I said, this stuff sucks. And I hated having to write all this stuff down, but I'm going to own it. This is me. This is what makes me uniquely who I am today. This is my story. And there was that taking responsibility for it and that owning of it. 
And I didn't do it alone. I did it with HP in my pocket. And that's, to me, that's really the key. Because if I hadn't started to heal my own shame through the unconditional love of God, I never would have been able to face those things. So when we go into this process, we must take our God with us. And that's how we begin to heal. And as we heal, more and more of those grubs are revealed to us. But instead of having a shame attack over them, we can move into that place of owning them. If that makes sense. It does. And it's, it describes the process pretty well, I think. And it is a process. And again, so when I ask myself the question, you know, how, how does this self-sufficiency thing help me move from blaming others or not taking responsibility to owning my own experience? And I am, again, equating self-sufficiency with taking responsibility yeah. uh, for my own experience. Uh, one practice, and again, I, I, I find my mind coming back to practices like turning within in prayer or meditation. One practice is the practice of making I statements. Now, I learned this uh, in several places, but mainly, you know, what comes to mind is I've spent a lot of time with my dear friend and teacher, Edween Gaines. Mm -hmm. And it, when I was hanging around with Edween, if we were having a group discussion and I started to say something like, well, you know, when you do this and then you do that, she'd just like, no, <laughs> stop, back up. <laughs> when, when I did this, I felt like this. And I, you know what I'm yeah. making? I statements is an extraordinarily powerful thing to do. And it's central to uh, the recovery path, because even in our recovery groups, we share our experience, strength, and hope. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go into a recovery meeting and hear people doing the when you do this and when you right. do that. But uh, what I am going to hear is the the ones who are really uh, working it, perhaps, or who know this principle are going to be, what do we say? I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I have. That's all yeah. I can do. And in essence, really, and to this day and now and forever, I cannot tell you about alcoholism recovery. I can share with you my experience, strength, and hope. You take yeah. from that what works for you, what's yeah. helpful for you, which is something you decide. What's helpful and you leave the rest behind because if it's not helpful at this time, so what? You know, move along. And so the practice of making I statements, which is something we do on the show. I mean, even if as you and I talk about all this, we might characterize something as, you know, it's kind of like this. But then yes. hopefully we better uh, be turning around to. So when I had that experience, here's yeah. what happened to me. Here's yeah. what I did. Here's how I felt. Here's how I approached it. Here's a tool that I've been using. So I statements is a very powerful it's a very simple kind of shift in language, but it's an extremely powerful way to begin to take responsibility for my own experiences. It's hard not to when I'm saying, when I do this, I feel like this. It's hard not yeah. to take responsibility. Yeah, exactly. It's hard because that you said it's a subtle shift in language, but it's a powerful shift. And I think that's why it's Okay, I'll speak for myself. I think that's why it's hard for me sometimes. It's easier to speak in we. We do this. We oh, tend yeah. to do that. Because it doesn't feel as guilty um, right here. Guilty charge. <laughs> you know? Not the same when way. When we say, I do this, it's like, whoa. It brings up that thing, that shame that wants me to take the heat off of myself by softening that I into a we. 
you know, and we do a lot of we talk in recovery because we're also trying to um, show our commonalities and how we, you know, we have these similarities, but you're absolutely right. It's a wonderful reminder that um, just that little shift. And I love um, what you said about Edwin Gaines, you know, reminding you of that. That's the kind of thing that we need is those reminders, you know. And and I was thinking, you said, you know, we're going to see that when we are in the rooms. And I was thinking, yeah, that's because 12-step meetings are full of imperfect people who are learning. We're learning. If we already knew all this stuff, we wouldn't be in those rooms. <laughs> you know? That's right. There's a reason we're there in the first place, and it's supposed to be a safe place for us to learn these skills. I mean, you know, when we get into recovery, we often have a lot of undoing to do. A lot of undoing, whether it's 25 years of it or 45 years of it or whatever it is, we've got to unlearn a lot of things and learn a new way. Um, so, you know, just kind of giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt and the giving each other a little bit of a break when we don't do it perfectly. Again, we got enough to deal with just keeping track of what we're doing ourselves without looking at how others are not doing it perfectly, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Which again is just that mechanism for taking the heat off of myself, you know, if I can point out what you're doing wrong, then I don't have to look at myself. So yeah, absolutely. So I want to share because, you know, we're talking, this is a unity program and we're talking about unity principles. I want to share um, a book that, you know, really to me has everything to do with what we're talking about today and was profound for me. And I think for a lot of people, and that's the eye of the storm mm. by Gary Simmons and um, not just the book, but the whole concept around the Q process and the no one and nothing against me. Um, so if you're not familiar, eye of the storm is sort of a, I don't want to say classic cause it's not, it's contemporary, but it's a yeah, kind of is though. I know what you mean. Unity book that's used for a lot of studies and yeah, um, let me warn you that if you pick up that book, it is going to change your life. It is going to blow your mind. Um, but it's, it's a very powerful book. And, um, basically if you, if you're not familiar, the premise is that there is no one and nothing against me. No one is against me. Everyone is just doing their own thing and trying to do the best they can. When I perceive that someone is doing something to me, it's something in me that is perceiving that. It's something in me that is being tapped, that is being triggered. Um, and the, that's the second piece of it is that belief that it's being triggered because it wants to be healed. It's coming up to be healed. So as not fun as it is when our stuff comes up, uh, a principle we can always hang on to in unity is that if it's coming up for us, it's because it's ready to be healed. So let's do it, man. Let's get rid of this thing once and for all. Let's bring it up, bring it out into the light, bring it out of the shadows. Um, when things are in our shadow, we project them onto other people. That's what we do. Um, and blaming others is a projection of our own shadow. So if I'm out there saying, you did this and you did that, it's because there's something in me that is in the shadow that is repressed, that I something I have not accepted or integrated about myself, something that I find unacceptable about myself. And in order to get away from that painful feeling, I project it onto you and call you out for doing it. It's pretty basic. You know, we all do it. 
pretty basic, but pretty profound to me because the spiritual piece of it, like I say, is not just, you know, in, in, in 12 step, we like to talk about if I'm pointing a finger at you, there's, I don't know how many, three, four fingers. Three, pointing back yeah, at exactly. There's three pointing back at me, but the, this book takes it farther and says it is your soul's journey that those things be triggered in you by other people because then you can heal them. That's the good news. As long as it's hidden and repressed in the shadow, it's not going anywhere. But yeah. when we bring it up, then we can heal it, clear it out, get rid of it. Right. Sort of drag it into the light, so to speak. Right. And then the, 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 it's sort of a... Uh, an analogy is that the, it's like mildew, right? If you take something that's mildewed out into the sun, it will just naturally resolve itself, you know? And so if you think of the sun as the spirit and the shadow as things that we won't, don't want to look at in ourselves, it kind of holds up. I do have to point out, um, as we both know, that there are circumstances where like physical safety is the very first thing that needs to happen. All of these principles that we're talking about assume that we are not in an actively abusive situation. And if we are, our only responsibility is to get ourselves and our loved ones out of that situation. After that, we can turn to the kind of healing principles that we're talking about now. But if somebody is beating me on a daily basis, guess what? They're beating me on a daily basis. I need to get myself out of that situation. Then after appropriate amount of time has healed and I'm back on my feet, I may then say, well, what was, what was I doing? Why was I staying in, you know, and all that kind of thing. But first, man, you got to get out of the situation. And it's just like it's just like us with with drinking. You know, if I want to get sober, when I did want to get sober, what is the very first thing I had to do? Put the bottle down, period, end of story. I'm not going to kind of quit drinking and expect to get on a, on a recovery path and get any results. It ain't going to happen. The very first thing is I need separation from, in this case, the substance that I was abusing. So yeah, I mean, there's abuse in there too. Once I have separation, and it's literally physically, I'm not physically putting that chemical in my body anymore, only then can I then, uh, begin to heal. So that's always important to point out. And I was taught that by a Episcopal priest, uh, mother of a dear friend of mine, I'll be forever grateful to her for sharing that with me, especially uh, that can come up in the context of prosperity teachings. I am going to lay on, again, some Sermon on the Mount. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. Come on, JC. (laughs) Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Okay, so this has been going on at least 2,000 years, (laughs) right? Logs in our eye. I'm criticizing the speck in your eye, and, and, and I can't, and why don't I see the timber or the log in my own eye? So just notice that or know that this has gone on as long as people have been around. And it this taking responsibility has been a spiritual principle for as long as creation has existed, whatever that might be. So we're seeing that again here, and that's a question we can, when we're starting to ask ourselves, when it's appropriate to ask ourselves, you know, with the guidance of a trusted advisor, maybe in the context of a healing group, um, what is my part in this? Um, that's kind of, 
a, a, another way of saying is that why why am I looking at you? Why am I pointing that finger at you? As you said, with the three fingers pointing back at me, why am I pointing a, a finger at you? Maybe I need to look in the mirror. You know, may, maybe that's what's going on here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I really like that you um, brought up that caveat about safety. So it, again, these things are so nuanced. So when we say that, you know, whatever is happening out there, and this is one of our unity principles, the third principle, that, you know, it is our thoughts and feelings and emotions held in mind that create our outer picture. But that's not the whole story. There's much more going on. So when we say that we're responsible for what's happening in our lives, if we're being abused or we're being beaten, we're not saying that's our fault. I mean, it seems like we shouldn't have to say that, but no, we do need to say that. It's very yeah. important. Um, and that's not mean, the time to be asking, what's my part in this? Yeah, that comes no, later. No. That comes exactly, later. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I wanted to point out that it's also never a child's fault. I think I kind of said that before. but yeah, Say um, it again, though. Yeah, this does not pertain to children. Children do not have the ability to act independently, to... Um, you know, to take responsibility for themselves. And no, absolutely, it is not, a child does not have that ability or responsibility to do that. So I like that you pointed out that, you know, safety is always, and it and it's not just physical safety, there's emotional safety yeah. as well, you know. It's there about are, getting out of the abusive situation, whatever that needs to look like. Exactly, yeah. So that's a really good point to make. But assuming that that is not the circumstance, then we can assume that whatever we, whatever um, speck we are pointing out in someone else's eye is probably a log we have in our own. Yeah. I mean, Jesus is just busting our booties left and right, right? He was <laughs> like, okay, busted. Yeah, because he understood human behavior, you know, and um, again, this doesn't mean calling this doesn't mean that we don't call out bad behavior when it exists. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up to injustice or abuse. That's not what we're talking about, but we are talking about when we um, are projecting something from within and looking outward to uh, blame on others what we ourselves need to take responsibility for. And again, it's the bad news and it's the good news and the good news is that then we become empowered then we become empowered to do something so what can I do the only thing that I can do is change myself work on myself that's absolutely the only power I have but it is and, an empowering concept and we need to change gears now and turn our attention to a question or a comment from our listeners, so here is a question that often comes up, and this is directly related to what we're saying. How can I tell the difference between self-sufficiency and selfishness? When am I being independent or taking responsibility? And when am I just making everything all about me? Michelle, what do you think? Not an easy <laughs> No, that is not an easy question to answer. Yes, and, you know, as human beings, it is a delicate balance that we need to strike between being responsible for ourselves and being interdependent with others. And I can't tell anybody what that looks like for them. Everyone has to sort of find that balance because we don't want to be completely – self-sufficiency doesn't mean I'm an island. It doesn't mean I don't need anyone. Um, it's about taking responsibility when it's appropriate to do so. So how do we figure that out? 
<sighs> spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. That's really, I mean, it's got to its self-examination. It's time spent in prayer and meditation. It's looking within um, our tradition as well as the 12-step program says that all of the answers are within. So we do have the answers within us. Um, and we need to use that power of spiritual discernment to figure out where the boundaries of those things are. Yeah. And, you know, you said it, balance, that always comes to mind. We talk about that a lot. It's a central spiritual principle. We might even be able to define balance itself as right. a spiritual principle somehow. And so uh, my, uh, my short answer is practice. It takes practice to get adept at anything. And yeah. so we try and balance um, our approach. And we, as you pointed out uh, so very well, this is not something I have to do everything myself. I mean, I've got to do my inner work, but I can't do it alone. So I go to my trusted advisor or advisors and inquire, am I being selfish, blah, 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 you know, talk it out, practice. Um, I, I check in with my group, you know, and I share what's going on with me. And so I have a variety of resources that are supporting me on my spiritual recovery path, and I make use of them as I move ahead. Yes, absolutely. Well, as always, we like to give you an, an affirmation that um, encompasses what we're talking about today and that you can take with you throughout the week as you reinforce the principles we've talked about today. So our affirmation for today is, guided by spirit, I have the power to choose my responses to the things that happen in my life. Yeah, guided by spirit, I have the power to choose my responses to the things that happen in my life. Well, we have come to the end of our time here today. Again, amazing how that happens. <laughs> and we, we sincerely hope that you found something in all that we've said to help you on your recovery path. Thank you, uh, Reverend Michelle, again for our discussion. And thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And listeners, if you would like, you, again, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.